Amanda, you have a kid and a husband. I do. You do not get to go out for dinner as much as you once did when you were in the when you were hustling and bustling and out True, for dinner only. every night in New York City. Mm-hmm. So when you do go out for a meal, yeah, you got to make sure it's the best make, one, right? I make the most of it. How do you do that? Woof! How do I do it? Luckily, you have a whole institution of people <laughs> under you that are here to tell you how I to make do, the most of your dinner plans. I do ask for the best recommendations. I don't screw around with a place that might have a mixed review for my colleagues. Don't settle for average in dinner. Don't settle for average in investing. Demand better. There's a smarter way to manage your money, and that is Betterment. Betterment. Investment involves risk, but right now, our listeners, the Upsell listeners, can get up to one year managed for free by visiting Betterment.com slash eater. That's Betterment.com slash eater. Betterment.com slash eater. Welcome to the Eater Upsell, brought to you by the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, Editor-in-Chief of Eater. I'm in the studio with Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey, Amanda. It's an exciting day because... We are here with Samin Nosrat, author of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, a best-selling cookbook, uh, and her Netflix show of the same name comes out today. Is it today or tomorrow? When are you running this? I'm running it today. Oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Thursday, October... 11th. Oh, 11th, yeah. She's also a columnist for the New York Times Magazine. Uh, she cooked at Chez Panisse. She's traveled the world. She's also really fun and... Nice. Yeah, and lovely. <laughs> really, really warm and amazing to be around. Yeah, it's hard to explain how what a nice vibe she has. Uh, but hopefully it comes hopefully across. Hopefully it will come across. I'm sure it does. Through the magic of audio. We'll I, see. I think she's a really important person to get to know right now. Or, I mean, at some point, she, she's only going to get more and more influential in the in the in this world. And yeah, she's about to world. get mega famous. Uh, and her book was... I, I, there's, I feel like there's one book every year that, like, we don't know the author's name, but it's like, that was the smash. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 2017, that book was all people were talking about yeah. for, a, for a while. I mean, it won all the awards, and I think Yeah, because it, it wasn't just about recipes. It was about techniques. It's about, like, teaching yourself how to be a better cook. So here is Samin Nostrat. Samin Nostrat, welcome to the Eater Upsell. Um, Hi. Hi, guys. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. So you have a new Netflix show coming out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I promise it's the last one. <laughs> Which is, and it's fine. So I mean, maybe eating Doritos during this introduction. <laughs> Doritos, always, always good for an audio show. You yeah. Know? Uh, it's named Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Same title as your cookbook. Uh, before we, I guess, get into the, the meat of the interview, just tell us a brief brief sentence about the show. The idea is if you can master these four elements, you can make anything taste good because they're sort of the universal elements of good cooking. And so in the show, we went all over the world to prove my thesis, my theory. Okay, cool. So four four episodes. Four so episodes. It's like almost like a mini series. Yeah. A little documentary series. It's funny to f- people are always like, oh, you only made four. I was like, those four almost killed us. Like, <laughs> four is a lot, okay? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to back up, can you give our listeners a little bio if they're not familiar with you? For sure. Um, I'm a writer, a teacher, and a cook. I have been cooking professionally in one way or another for almost 20 years now, and I write a column for the New York Times Magazine, and it's I truly wrote excellent. this book. Oh, thanks. It's really a fun one that I'm finally, I have finally reached the point after a year where I'm like, 
don't need to go into deep depression every month about how, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm finally used to it where I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. Um, don't have a meltdown. I've, I've had a lot of meltdowns. (laughs) (laughs) You're finally confident enough to know there's a column in there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Which is good. Um, I don't know. And I, I, I just am like, I look for stories. I'm talk to people. I eat things. Yeah. And you're not, you're not cooking professionally anymore. I don't work in restaurants. Writing. And teaching? I primarily, well, so this book took everything I had, and it took a lot of years. So it took, we sold it in 2013, it came out in 2017, so that was all writing. And then I spent several months promoting it, and then we went straight into making the show. Mm -hmm. So I have been, like, sprinting since basically 2011 when I started writing the proposal. So I'm um, tired. And I primarily have been in like a in salt fat acid heat mode for a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't really work in restaurants. I do do events and I'll jump in and do private events with friends, mostly just because I miss the feeling of cooking. I miss mm-hmm. the like action and being in the kitchen with people and writing, especially the way I do. I mean, the way I do it, it's not so solitary, but writing is, you know, in your head and really emotional. And um, for me, I lay down on the floor and cry a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a very personal process and it takes a really long time. And the beauty of cooking is you can make something from start to finish in one day and right. you get to do it in community with people. And I, and I, you know, I'm a good cook. I'm not the world's best cook. There are so many amazing cooks in my community who I can continue learning from. And I really enjoy that part of it. And so um, anytime I can find a way into a kitchen, I'll do it. Even just like the other day, I was rushing around getting ready to come to New York and I had to go buy a pair of shoes for my fancy dress. And it was in, you know, whatever shopping mall near whatever place. And I knew a bunch of my friends were cooking a big dinner that night. And so I drove over to the like the house where they were working and I like peeled tomatoes with them for two hours just to <laughs> have my hands do something. It's so grounding, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would never do that. <laughs> but it's like, also like our time to gossip. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And when you were cooking, it was at Chez Panisse. I did. I learned to cook at Chez Panisse. And then um, I spent about three years there. And then I went to Italy for two years. And then when I came back from Italy, the chef who'd been my mentor opened a, another restaurant in Berkeley. So I worked there for five years until that place closed. But by the end, I was running the kitchen. And like, I really became, I called myself the Italian farm wife of the, like, the farm, like I was like this, the school marm. And, <laughs> you know, I like canned every tomato and we put up all the cured meats. And I sort of was running like a, like a large scale farmhouse basically. And, um, but working in a restaurant's hard. And, it really chewed me up and it was never the thing that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So when that ended in 2009, I was like, okay, this is my way out. Like I'm going to figure out a way to redefine what it means to be a professional cook and figure out how to write and tell stories and do other stuff. And I'm still, I think I'm still figuring that out. And um, I also think I have changed, you know, it's okay if people don't think of me as a professional cook. It's okay if I'm just a home cook. And I'm, I, and I kind of take a lot of pride in that. And it took a lot of years for me to abandon all of the stuff that I felt was what being a real cook was <laughs> because I had never been a home cook until 2009 because I, had, I, lear- I learned to cook while I was in college and then I immediately was a professional cook. I mm-hmm. never 
made dinner at home. I never like roasted a chicken on Tuesday night. I never did that. And so it took me a lot of years to shed the preconceived ideas I had about what was good cooking and realize that the good cooking looks totally different in a, in a home kitchen and that it's okay. You know, whereas at a restaurant, like making chicken stock and freezing, it would be like abhorrent because you're supposed to always have freshly made chicken stock, you know, at home, that's like an amazing achievement, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're way and ahead so, of the game if you totally. have chicken stock in your freezer. Totally. So like stuff like that where I'm like, oh, and also in a restaurant, there's always someone to wash all your dishes. Mm. And if you make too much of something, there's always people to eat it. And so, and I still always make too much of everything, partly because I live by myself and I still am like, I know someone's going to show up and then right. half the time nobody shows up. Left- leftovers are <laughs> yeah. easy to take care of, but yeah. the dishes are, I think, the a dish very situation. real thing that yeah. professional it, chefs don't have to think so much about. And I think especially as a person who has, I've really committed to writing for home cooks and writing recipes for home cooks rather than my professional peers. There are ways that I'm like, oh, God, like I don't want to get if I don't want to get out another bowl and I have a lot more patience than the average person, then like I'm going to figure out a way to do this in one bowl, you know, or one pan. And some and so when I make the choice to require some extra step, it's really I'm very conscious of what I'm asking someone to do because I'm not writing from like a chef point of view anymore. Can you talk about your relationship with Michael Pollan? Because I feel like that's a really interesting part of your trajectory is when you transitioned out of restaurants and into writing, you went to like the master. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of my thing. I'm like big on the letter writing to the to the person who I admire. And oh, right, so, that's how you got your job yeah, at Chez Panisse is you wrote a letter. I did and it at Chez Panisse, yeah. yeah. And then... Um, it's I, funny, my mother is like that, but the opposite. She writes, like, whenever... I, what is the opposite of writing a letter? Like, writing angry letters. Oh. <laughs> like, if Delta does something oh, yeah. to her, she, like, writes out a letter and, like, sends oh, it I in hope, the mail. Oh, I hope she gets answers. <laughs> Sometimes she does. <laughs> she gets a lot of, like, coupons to Applebee's that way. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, 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 I like that. Maybe yeah. I need a new... new so if you ever want to... <laughs> positive wanna, letters. Yeah, I know. Just really bring in the negativity. Yeah, okay. Okay, sounds so you good. So you wrote Michael a I wrote, letter. I saw that Just he was coming into our restaurant to eat dinner. I saw his mm. name in the restaurant reservation book and so I wrote a letter and asked the server to give it to him and they oh, did. Oh, wow, that's like... It was yeah. bold. It was bold. Yeah. yeah. I just said, oh, I'm a big fan. I would love to audit your class because he um, at that time was teaching at the Graduate School of Journalism at Berkeley and I every year as a like a recovering child of a... Well, I'm not still a child of immigrants, but... <laughs> <laughs> you don't recover from that. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> but like as a lifelong child of immigrants, <laughs> I... Um, Still, still, actually, maybe this is the first year I don't have the pang of a fail. Like I'm a failure because I don't have an advanced degree. But for a lot of years as a cook, I certainly had that. So I kept applying and then deferring to like get an MFA, to get a graduate degree in journalism, to go to get a PhD in English. And I would always apply and be like, this is going to be my path in life. And then I could never bring myself to actually go do it. So, and also it's expensive. Graduate school is expensive. And I made $12 an hour as a cook, you know, maybe 15, maybe 18, but like not a lot of money. And um, I couldn't always just, I could just, it was hard for me to justify spending $90,000 to become an accredited poet. So <laughs> so um, I thought maybe I could audit with Michael instead just to see what the feeling of it was and decide if that was what I wanted to do. So I wrote a letter, just a little card asking him if I could do it. And he wrote me back three weeks later. He emailed me and he said, come into my office hours. So I went in and I said, oh, I'd really like to take this class. And he was like, listen, you are at the 
end of a very long like priority list mm-hmm. because my you know my responsibility is to the students of the graduate school and then all of the other graduate schools and then the undergraduates and then the community so like and, and then this the is other a, waiters and then, yeah totally yeah, and this is a small class there's maybe 12 students and, and so he's like it's not going to happen but he's like if you want you can come to the first day that's when I'll have one spot up for grabs and like I'll offer it to someone there so I showed up that first day and there and this was like Right after Omnivore's Dilemma. This is like peak Michael Pollan (laughs) popularity, (laughs) you know? And there were 200 people there trying to get that one spot. And and we had to write a little card saying, like, why we wanted it in class. And I just – I went home and I was like, oh, that's not going to happen. And eventually – and I told one of my friends and she said, you don't know anything about academics. Like, you got to tell him why he needs to let you in. And it's exactly because you are from the community and you're from the community that this class is about, which is the food world. And so – I was like, I could never tell Michael Pollan to let me into his class. She's like, you have nothing to lose. So I did. I wrote him a letter. I was like, listen, like, you got to let me in. And he was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So he let me in. And then through that, I met all these amazing young journalists. And um, eventually I could tell that Michael was getting ready to write a book about cooking. And what he always does is, you know, he puts himself at the, like, in the shoe, in the shoes of the person learning this new thing. And really, like, does that kind of um, experiential journalism. So I was like, if he's going to write about cooking, he's going to need a cooking teacher. So I wrote him another email, and I was like, I was like, can I be your cooking teacher? <laughs> and he eventually said, yeah. And so then he hired me to be his cooking teacher, and I went over to his house, like, once or twice a month for, I don't know, almost a year maybe. And I'd cook with him and his family, and we'd, and then we had all this food. So we started inviting people over, and very quickly he picked up on this. He was like, "You're really obsessed with these four elements," and I said, "Yeah, I always thought I'd write a book on it." And at that time, every week I'd bring him a really bad book idea. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, "I want to write a memoir of teaching this gutter punk how to cook." He's like, "Nobody wants to read." That. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was like, "There's your book. You know, you it's right there in front of you." And I was like, "That's gonna be a hard book to write. I don't know if I'm." ready to do that and he's he just gave me a good dose of reality he was like you live in a delusional universe where all of the people you know who write books are already celebrities of some kind like a celebrity chef or a famous author or something and you think there's some measure of like celebrity that makes you a good writer or a good book and it has nothing to do with that he he was like publishers want a unique idea and this is something I've never heard before. So take this. Go teach these classes. Make a curriculum. Turn that into a book proposal and write this book. So that was fall 2011. He gave me that pep talk. And then it took two years to write that proposal. And then did he help you find an agent and all that? Yeah. Um, his agent is this amazing, amazing legendary agent, Binky Urban at um, ICM. And she was reading... The amazing name, amazing woman. And she, I mean, it's like a true power thing when your name is Binky and you're like the most powerful literary yeah. agent. You know what I mean? Like power move. Uh, and so Binky um, read Cooked and she read about me in the book and she was like, who's this? Does she have a book idea? And Michael was like, actually, she does. So he introduced me to her and then she um, introduced me to my agent who is my everything. Her name is Kari Stewart. And she, we were both babies. And Michael very much was like, in support of the idea of starting with, you know, you don't have to start with the biggest name person. Mm-hmm. You find your person and you guys, it's in both your interests mm-hmm. to support each other's career. So I think, I mean, I couldn't, ha- she has supported everything. She's just my number one. So um, I'm so grateful to Binky for bring, bringing me to Kari. In a sense, like for, as far as the public is concerned, 
I don't. You didn't have the name of of like Jada or something. No, like I that. have no name. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think now you maybe you maybe don't. tomorrow I maybe will. Tomorrow. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the book was. De- you must have been shocked by its success because it it smashed it. You, I, I remember hearing that you had that they reordered it like nineteen times or something. It's, like yeah, that. it's in its ninth printing now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, it's. I mean, on the one hand, so like I'm a, I'm a I'm a barrel of inconsistencies. Great, so perfect for uh, podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, I'm like so resilient and confident in my work, and so clear about like once I decide and and come to a vision and an idea, I'm so clear about the thing that I want to make, and I just work toward that, even if it takes a really long time or it's really hard, because I I I'm like oh this is the thing that needs to belong in the world. So on the one hand. I knew that I had given everything I could possibly give. I also am a crazy, crazy student, studier, immerser person. So, you know, when I first started cooking, I immersed myself in this entire industry and was that person who went and ate at all the restaurants and tasted all the things and read all the books. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I f- was like, okay, I'm going to learn about this new industry publishing, I read about every agent. I read about what it, I asked every, I read, I understood the arc of what it is to make a cookbook so that when I knew I wanted to make something different, I knew exactly the points at which I would have to fight for that. Mm -hmm. So when we made our book proposal, when I had Wendy McNaughton, the illustrator, illustrate it, we had a friend who's a book designer design it because I knew that it was going to be an untraditional thing. And to convince a publisher to do an untraditional thing is really hard, especially if you have no platform, which I mean, maybe I had 3000 Instagram followers or something. I had local recognition, but definitely nothing beyond that. But um, so I was like, oh, this proposal has to give these uh, these people who read it the experience that they'll have when they read the book, because I can't tell them that I'm going to make something. I have Mm -hmm. to show them what I'm going to make so that they understand that, because I just know that. And this is I've learned also true, I think, in, in filmmaking is they like to make things based on the proven success of previous right winners. Mm-hmm. And since there was nothing that I could compare this to, I had to sort of like come guns blazing, mm-hmm. which is why it took all that time. So I knew I was making something special. Um, I You never know if it's going to land with people. I'm certainly happy and, and, yeah, and to some extent surprised. But I also sort of and maybe this is that immigrant child thing. Like I was like, okay, cool, goal achieved, check. Like, and then I like don't really check it. I'm not really like, I don't know, monitoring the success of it all the time. I'm so happy that it is. The most amazing thing that happens to me is when I get emails from people being like, my 13-year-old kid loves baking this cake. Or I never, you know, I made green beans and I put more salt in the water and my kids ate their vegetables for Mm. the first time. That's the stuff where I'm like, oh, the thing I did is working for people. You know, someone wrote me last week and said, oh, I've only read two chapters and I'm already cooking better food than I've ever cooked. I was like, then I did what I was supposed to do. It's funny, you only remember it as the giant project and you (laughs) almost forget like what you were actually trying to teach the people. (laughs) Totally. I was like, what, salt salt and water? What? (laughs) I was just telling them in the elevator on the way up here that like I don't look at the book that often anymore. So it's just this thing that exists in my abstract. And -hmm. also I talk about it all the time and I talk about the idea and my brain is sick of – I'm just sick of it in some ways. So every once in a while for whatever reason, like the other day I had to pick it up because I was going to plagiarize myself basically for something else I was writing. (laughs) And I was like, wow, this is a nice book. Like, I made something good. Good book. (laughs) I was like, I'm better than I remembered. 
Every week, the Eater Upsell helps you digest the latest hot topics in the world of food. Coming up next, hear an advertiser segment from Betterment about an easier way to digest life-changing financial advice. Ten years ago, the Great Recession sent shockwaves through the global economy. And in that uncertain economic environment, consumers were gripped with fear and doubt. 2008, it was, you know, the Great Recession. People in general had lost trust in the incumbents. And I thought there really ought to be an obvious best answer to the question, what should I do with my money? But there wasn't. That's John Stein, CEO of the financial services company Betterment, which he founded because he felt the economic industry was failing the average investor. Imagine a healthcare system designed with just a shelf of medicine, and you can go and you can take whatever you want, however much you want, but there's no doctors. Just, just figure it out. And I think that's a crazy way to design a system that everyone has to use. I thought, how do we help people make great decisions, put the right kind of information in their hands to help them do better? So along with a team of experts, John developed an online financial advisor that could work for anyone. Maybe you're retiring, or maybe you're thinking about buying a home or having a child in the future. We learn about those things and create goals for you and a financial plan. It's all the things that a great traditional financial advisor might do for you. But financial advisors charge, you know, maybe four times what, what Betterment charges. Betterment, outsmart average. Please remember, investing involves risk. This has been advertiser content from Betterment. Thanks for that note from Betterment. To learn more about their tools, visit betterment.com slash eater. So you found out, you said the day after the election or something yeah, like that, that you got the like, show. Yeah. Did you write Netflix a letter or did yeah. they come to you? <laughs> <laughs> that one was cool. So that one, no letter involved. Although now I'm just like sending everyone love letters 24-7. <laughs> 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 um, Dorito grams. Yeah, dur- oh my God, great idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they... Um, it's it's again has has I like incredible. Um, I must give my gratitude to Michael for this because Cooked was um, transformed from a book into a series for Netflix, and I played myself in the, in the TV version. And so, and I think that that show was one of the first food shows outside of Chef's Table that Netflix produced, like an original mm-hmm. show. And so, um, it did pretty well. They wanted some more kinds of things like that. I think I had done like. I don't know. I don't know these things. Done well with audiences. I have no idea. So Jigsaw, the production company that made Cooked, really, um, they were just like, let's do this. And they knew because, how do I explain? I've kind of like gone out of order. But the woman who directed the episode of Cooked that I was in, her name is Caroline Sue, And she was really a champion of mine from the start. That day, she was like, you know, you're going to have your own show one day. Jamie Oliver was discovered in the background of someone else's show. And Mm -hmm. that's what's happening right now. And so she knew that I had this four-part book. It was, I was still working on it. And so she, every, she'd check in once in a while and be like, hey, do you have chapters you can share? And so as I would finish stuff, we'd send it to them. And they were like, I think this could happen. Because to me, it's about the world. It's about the flavors of the world. It's about sharing, you know, like showing that what someone's doing across an ocean isn't actually that different than what you're doing at home. And there's a way for us to all access that and and relate to it. And so I envisioned it absolutely as something cinematic in my mind. And um, it just, I think they figured that out pretty immediately. And so they brought it to Netflix. Mm. 
And then I went and did like an audition kind of thing. And um, it was pretty much love at first right. sight. Yeah. But they, they were. They <laughs> were Which for me, I mean, I won't speak for them, but like I was like, I love you guys. And yeah, I, and, the, and Ben Cotner, who eventually ended up buying the show. I mean, he's my secret BFF. <laughs> letting, letting. Now you know. <laughs> now everyone knows. The, yeah. the, show, the show happened based on how much they liked the book, not how well the book did. Oh, yeah. It came, um, the, the book, book wasn't, wasn't out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was really, I mean, what, what I understand now, which I can only, I thank God I had no idea about this before, was it wasn't even so much about the book. It was about me. Aww. And um, and Ben really saw something in me, and they and they really supported that. And so all throughout this experience, it's been about returning to the things that are really authentically me. And because this happened for me in making the book, and certainly, I mean, how could it not happen for a person when they're doing something that's going to be so public? You are constantly thinking about like what message you're putting out. How are people going to view me? What am I doing? And so for the book, at one point, I went to go see Celia Sack, who has Omnivore Books in San Francisco, the cookbook mm-hmm. store. And she sa- she just was like, you need to get out of your head and you have to stop writing this book for your peers. You have to write it for home cooks. Mm. It's just, you're not trying to impress your peers. You don't need to write recipes for like whatever fancy pasta. Just make the stuff people are going to cook at home. And I think it was a very similar thing for me to like be like okay I'm not trying to be the most beautiful whatever I'm not trying to be the most whatever whatever they actually got it because I'm not perfect they been like the show because I wear Birkenstocks and like weird overalls and my house is a little bit messy and my kitchen I like make a huge mess in the kitchen and I'm not you know I'm not perfect I'm not Martha Stewart I'm not Alice Waters it's different I'm different and those are actually things to celebrate rather than to try and like scrub out and so anytime I'd be like we'd go to the Yucatan we went to the Yucatan we're in this like Doña Conchi's house in the you know rural like Oshkushkab (laughs) like total rural place and I go there and I'm like start moving all the plastic you know out of the way and Caroline was like stop she -hmm. said we're here we're documentarians like we're here this we're trying to capture the realness right. of this place. You mm-hmm. don't need to clean every surface. It's fine, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and I think with Netflix too, like, or with any TV, it's it's very straightforward and brutal. Like they don't care how well the cookbook did because if the person can't carry a show, yes. they're not going to give you a show. <laughs> <laughs> we're cheersing with the cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, so they, mm-hmm. so it really is genuine in that they see you and they're I like, think oh, it, this yeah. person is going to be able to do it because and they're not going to take that risk. I'm otherwise. so glad no one ever told me that because I think I would have felt the pressure of it. Right, right. Like I was just able to do it. <laughs> right. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. I like. You, mm-hmm. you have this charisma. Like, let's put you on TV. Mm-hmm. Right, not the thing that I've made that has these metrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amanda, you're a big fan of Sonos, are you not? I am. Sonos powers. Uh, Sonos is is how you cater the listening experience in your home. Is oh my it god, not? yes. Is it in my room? I'm playing WNYC, which is my local radio station, and then in my kids' room, I'm playing some sort of like. Hopalong Andy is the name of this music he's obsessed with, or Johnny Cash, his other favorite musician. Uh, and then I can, if I want, play something else in the bathroom and downstairs. And now Sonos has a new product, the Sonos Beam, to help get the most out of your television experience. Mm. So that means if there were five of you, mm-hmm. you could have an individual experience for everyone, including a cinematic one. I love it. Just like your other Sonos, Sonos works with all your favorite streaming services, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, etc. Start your sound system today. Go to Sonos.com right now to get your beam for just $399. 
some Netflix shows have gotten criticism for this. You just don't see women of color in these roles hardly ever, whether mm-hmm. it's travel or cooking. Um, and I know Chef's Table has gotten some criticism for that. So it's also like great that they were able to be like, oh, okay, here's this amazing character, and she's a woman of color, and we're going to send her all over the world, and she's going to be cooking. So I think that's that's something to talk about. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, what again, what is so remarkable is I don't think Ben was thinking about that. I don't think that was on his mind. I think he was like, she can do this. Right. But once the opportunity, once I realized I had this opportunity, I was very aware of that. Mm -hmm. And I was very aware of what I was like, this is might be the only time I ever get to do this. So what am I going to do? And, you know, I in a lot of ways, I'm indebted to Chef's Table because I think they created an entirely new class of food TV. And I don't think my show could exist without it. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it brought a lot of value or it showed people, especially people in, in the film industry, that there's a value in giving food stories cinematic treatment. Right. So for that, I'm really grateful. But I do think that historically the episodes have been pretty limited. You know, the people that they feature have been pretty limited. And also, Chef's Table has a different goal, right? That's a show that exists. And if you watch that ideally and it lands with you, at the end of it, you're like, wow, I want to travel to this place and eat this person's food. Right. And it's and, about like one and it's, yeah. masterful I want that spoonful. person. Totally. Where, like, sorry, I'm just stuffing cookies <laughs> in my mouth. <laughs> but for me, my goal was not that. My goal was... I want to speak to home cooks and inspire them. Like if my show lands right with you, by the end of it, you'll feel, oh, I can roast a chicken. I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is how you make your beans taste really good. And hopefully you'll get off your butt and start cooking. Well, and the format for cooking shows hasn't changed all that much in the Mm -hmm. last decade. So like you look at Food Network and that's what it is. It's like person – Standing, sir. It's called Stand, yeah, yeah. Standing, 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 standing. Has a name, counter. standing, sir. Yeah, yeah. And we, and I, I have spent so much time watching cooking shows and thinking about that. Also, as I try to figure out if I'm going to do something next and what that would look like, and also because throughout the making of this show, it was so interesting. We tried so many different things. We tried stand and stir. We tried, you know, there. we tried me talking to camera. We tried me not talking to camera. We tried just doing voiceover. We tried bringing a character in alongside me. We tried having me be the student of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so it was really a journey to figure out what we liked the most. And by the end, I think, you know, um, the very last scene we shot actually is the salt scene with Jasmine that's in the in the um, Japan episode that like we're cooking short ribs together. And that's one of my favorite scenes, you know, and I think that episode really needed that. And we realized, oh, I'm actually really good just me in a kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm really good with just one like student in the kitchen. And this doesn't have to be the flashiest possible thing, but there's a way to light it and to treat it with like beauty and respect that the typical like in-studio stand and stir show doesn't get. And I get it. It's expensive. Like I think all that equipment and lighting and whatever is expensive. And it's not like, um, yeah, financially efficient to do it in this incredible way. But I kind of don't care. Like I don't – well, whatever. I'm not like I have all the money or anything. (laughs) But like to me, I want to make beautiful things that inspire people. And it really sort of offended me. That only beautiful the the beautiful things seemed to only be there for like um 
for fancy things. Yeah. <laughs> you super, know, super high. End yeah. And why menu. can't beautiful things be there for everyday people and to inspire everyday people and to, you know, promote everyday people? What's your take on Chef's Table kind of pivoting? And I'm so excited. To, yeah. I haven't had a chance yet to watch, but I'm really excited to watch um, Christina. Yeah, Christina. And, oh, Ozma next. I, I met Ozma earlier this year. She is bananas amazing. So that was <laughs> one I was really excited. I am excited to watch it, but I did read um, Pelin, Pelin's, mm-hmm. Pelin, yeah. Pelin, Pelin's piece, and I thought it was really good. I mean, it was she, it was so well articulated and and thoughtful about the why, you know, and I think we need to examine that why. I'm so glad that it's happening. I'm so mm-hmm. glad that they're, you know, that those guys responded to criticism right. and, and made this shift. But I also think until behind the camera, those changes are reflected um, until like in the, yeah, then, then, then we haven't really made true progress. So, which whatever it's hard we're working on everyone's working on Mm -hmm. we're all working on an uphill battle but yeah (laughs) you still have the people who are making the decisions um the people who are getting the money are going to be overwhelmingly this one type of person yeah and so like here's the thing like my example that i always think of is when i started working at the times magazine i asked my editor claire i was like oh how long have you been here and she said I don't know, however many years. And I said, oh, so you were here under the previous editor-in-chief. And she said, yeah. And I was like, how's it different? And because Jake Silverstein, who's editor-in-chief now, has like visibly from the outside made a commitment to bringing in so many different kinds Mm -hmm. of people and different voices, so many writers of color, young, very young people, like surprisingly young people. And and I was like, how's it different? And she was like, I mean, I never she's like people always talk about diversity or whatever but until I sat in on meeting after meeting with different kinds of people at the table I just did not understand how powerful it is because mm-hmm. people who have had different life experiences just say different stuff they just yeah. think and know different stuff and so there's just a way where like we are all lifted up by this and that's the thing that I feel is you know, I, I, there are, there's parts of me that really, I love, there's so much to love about Chef's Table. There's so much to love about Andrew Zimmer. Mm-hmm. There's so much to love about a lot of this stuff. I mean, I think Anthony Bourdain did incredible service to, to the viewers around the world and eaters around the world. But I also think there's room for more of us, right? <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying take away from anyone. I'm just saying bring more. Well, in the Chef's Table creators, when they were called out for, you know, having a lack of diversity on their show, their response was just like, oh, we didn't think of it. And yeah. I kind of rolled my eyes at that. But then if you think about it, it's like, oh, maybe they just didn't. Yeah. And I see that whenever I see our like rivals make some stupid mistake, I realize like, oh, maybe no one was there in the room yeah. to raise their hand and be like, don't do that. Don't publish that thing. Yeah. And I'm sure that I've been stopped from doing something really idiotic because someone with a different we viewpoint. We do have so many people with different viewpoints on our staff who can be like, hey, that's not going to go over well. Or like, have you considered X? I 100% think that that's a thing. And like, maybe they didn't think of it. I do think I read somewhere that they said something like, um, I can't remember what it was. I, I wish I could remember the exact line that I read, but it was something like that. Like we couldn't find, we couldn't find anyone. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And I was like, well, 
if you can't find a female pastry chef, then you're not looking hard enough. You know, if you can't find a person at that time, I just was like, here's 10 people who could have been an amazing person to profile. Like, so yeah, it's not that hard. And, and, but I also will say having just been through the process of producing, of like making something that it is a victory to get anything to screen, like to, to, to being done. And there are so many day to day logistics that, are really limiting where you need somebody who can do this by 4 p.m. Tuesday yeah. and their budget is $75. And so there are a lot of constraints that put pressure, you know, that that make you I don't compromise away from your ideals. Mm-hmm. But at least let's start with our ideals. Right. <laughs> at least so, try from the beginning yeah, before so. just being like, oh, yeah. we and the, the other thing I'll say like right now is I'm just so glad. I really do believe there's a lot of value in language. And um and you know, probably if you had asked me three years ago, I don't know that I could have explained what cultural appropriation was. Mm-hmm. And so but now it's a thing we all talk about. And so I get to be aware of it. And I think a lot of things get lumped under the title or the category of cultural appropriation that aren't technically cultural appropriation. And we just haven't figured out what the language for that is. Right. And I think, for example, in sexual harassment, things always get lumped under like, oh, that's harassment or that's a, an assault. But maybe there's a more nuanced word. So the more conversations we can have about all of these things that we should be talking about, mm-hmm. the I think the more sophisticated we will all become about understanding these things and having a way to address these different issues. So... I'm yeah, it's it's happening. We're talking. That's good, you know, and those guys continue to make beautiful things. And for me, as a person who has spent almost 20 years like pondering the word chef versus the word cook and the value and the meaning of those two words, um, I really it wasn't even just that so many of the people that they profiled were white guys. It was that it was such a narrow definition of what a chef is. Mm-hmm. And that is something I'm so and excited. what a restaurant experience should and could be. And that is something that I'm so, so, so excited to see them expanding. Mm-hmm. So I honestly am Well, and you're really, going to run out eventually. Totally. I was like, there's <laughs> only 50 top 50. So. Yeah. <laughs> like you got to find the taco lady at yeah. some point. Might as well do it now. So you, with all these things in mind, you mentioned that the first time you didn't feel like you had enough control over what was going into your project. Uh, how, how are you gonna? How are you gonna hanker down, bunker down? What's the? I don't know. Hunker down. Hunker down. Hangry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. down. Hangry down. Hangry <laughs> down. Um, I think I've just learned. You know, like in any experience, um, I just didn't know the right questions to ask the first time, and now that I've been through it once, I'm like, oh, that's something I should have asked for. That's something I should have asked for. And so I think I know a little bit more about what to ask for. What's, I'm a, what's an example? Creative control. A lot oh. more creative. Oh, that <laughs> <laughs> that's one. You know, also, I mean, I think I also, how do I explain this? I dream big. I know that a lot of the things that I would like to do and have and be are not necessarily um, practical. I'm happy to be told no. I just want to have the opportunity to have a conversation about mm-hmm. certain things. So one thing that I – this and this is maybe totally impractical, and that's okay. I just didn't ever even have the opportunity to have a conversation. This is something I would like to talk about one day is we would get on the plane to travel to the next country. And these – and I adore my crew. I adored them so much. And they worked their 
asses off and under under like sometimes really complicated and difficult challenging circumstances and we'd get on the plane and like the director and the director of photography and I would go into business class and then the other guys would walk past us you know into economy mm-hmm. and I was like you know what we're all doing this together we should all be in the same thing which right. maybe is not possible that kind of stuff where I I look forward to being in a position where I get to fight for like Equality for everybody. Coach for, for all. Yeah, coach for all. <laughs> yeah, just to clear that this up, were you, were you trying answer. to bring everyone up or, are you, or were you saying you guys should all go no, down? No, I was trying to bring everyone up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, or, you know, I just want everyone to, I, I like to be in place. I think that is very much in the core of my heart is I have always felt like the kid who's like left on the outside of the party or whatever, didn't get invited or got like invited, but like didn't want nobody really wanted me there, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever thing, the last one to be picked. And sometimes I'm not even the last one to be picked, but that's just the feel, that's like who I am in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sensitive to making other people feel that way. And so when, it's just a, when I'm the like person that everybody's focusing on, I want my world to be really like lifting everyone up. So that is a silly, maybe a silly example, maybe completely impossible financially. I don't know. Yeah, but, a real example. but it is one where I that kind of stuff really like it stays with me because we were I wasn't working. They were not working any less hard than I was. And in some ways they were working a lot harder. So they should they should be able people should get. I feel like everyone should get good treatment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amanda, I, you told me a story recently. You were hanging out with Dave Chang said to her a while, uh, some months ago that before pre Netflix, nobody knew who he was really. Like he would, people would run into him on the street and occasionally. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was I was walking around a conference with him, and it was like he was mega celeb like every yeah. single person what do you think about this are you, asked, are you i be... took so many pictures of him and some fan because of ugly delicious i heard that from somebody else there's famous and then there's netflix famous <laughs> i'm are you I'm, ready i'm not ready i've been to a lot of therapy about this guys <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean especially like i live in berkeley which has a really tortured relationship i think to to like fame <laughs> Because they love to hate on the idea of it, but then everybody actually cares just as mm-hmm. when they're just as gossipy. So, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, pretty ambivalent about it. Have you bought some baseball caps and sunglasses to wear I have curly airports? hair. A person with curly hair cannot <laughs> wear a baseball cap, Amanda. <laughs> How are you going to hide yourself at an airport? I think I, that's the problem is, like, even if I hide myself, the minute I laugh, it's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We're going into restaurants undetected. I, that's already been a thing where I don't know. I Well, we were talking about this before we started recording about my like issues, my parent, general paranoia of um, violating ethical standards. Now <laughs> that I, you're writing for the Times. Now that I work at the Times. Yeah. people. And then I, but I like, so I'm not supposed to accept free stuff, but then that sometimes gets awkward and da da da. Oh, people because send people stuff. send you stuff all Yeah, the time. or like, yeah. I mean, I guess I can, I don't know, but I'm definitely not have, supposed to have a comped meal. And I try really hard to adhere to all of those rules. Mm, and then and, sometimes it becomes a and fight. And sometimes it's a, yeah, it's a, like I, at one time I was at a restaurant, I had to physically like throw my body over the bar to like make sure that they were going to send me a bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, guys. It's weird. Well, we'll check in after the yeah, show call airs. Me. Call me Tuesday. Oh, yeah. See, <laughs> see like, okay, is this a new whole new life? Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so we are out of time, unfortunately. You'll have to come back in a, in a month or two. Okay. You come Can down. I? Yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll do, do a part two. For real? We'll, do, yeah, we'll yeah. do part two. You promise? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before baby? Yeah, well, okay. we'll see. It may okay. just be we'll me. See. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if it's just, yeah, we're going to have just a whole three months of Dan doing whatever he wants. It's oh. going to be called Dan Interviews Weirdos. But, uh, <laughs> there will be some non-weirdos, oh, <laughs> You can be one of the non-weirdos. These cookies are so good. <laughs> Um, but I am a weirdo. Come on. Congrats on the book. Congrats on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Thanks so much for these cookies. Of course. <laughs> and for having me. <laughs> of course. And we're excited to see what comes next for you. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked right up at the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. It's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smart water. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste.